0: Welcome to the UDIA Queensland's Development Drum Podcast, where we learn from members about the property sector, and at the same time, get to know your industry colleagues a little bit better. Hi, my name's Chelsea Van Reet, and my guest today is CoreLogic's esteemed Head of Research Tim Lawless. He's been telling the story of Australia's housing markets for over 20 years, sharing insights into current conditions from both a macro and micro level. Our highly respected commentator, Tim, will be presenting a market update at the UDIA Queensland's Developers Conference on September 2. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. Welcome, Tim.
1: Thanks for inviting me along.
0: I'm not sure if you've listened to any episodes before, but I do like to kick off with uh, a getting to know you moment. I'll make it very brief, but... Please tell us what a typical day looks like for you.
1: Yeah, every day is different, to be honest. And uh, so, so generally, what my time is, is spent um, divided between crunching numbers. So, so I'm pretty hands-on with um, analysis and, and working in a whole bunch of different uh, programs to, to do analysis on behalf of CoreLogic. But then once, once I've done all the numbers, it, it's involved a lot of writing as well. <laughs> and when I'm not at my desk... It, there's also a lot of uh, speaking to people, so um, I'm, I'm speaking at a lot of events or uh, doing webinars and, and briefings, for all of our clients and uh, and that type of thing. And also, we, we work a lot with the media as well, so responding to uh, to requests for for commentary as well. So, yeah, it's a whole broad range of things. I think that's that what's really keeps me uh, on my toes with this role is that every day is very different.
0: And you've been at CoreLogic now for 14 years straight. What's kept you around?
1: Yeah, I think it is that diversity and the very, I guess, foundation of my role at CoreLogic is is really utilising all the data that CoreLogic holds and, and making sense of it and, and telling a story about it. But I think that's probably the most important thing is that in many ways I'm drinking from the fountain in, in the, of property data. So it's, it's extremely timely, the data is extremely broad and, and has a lot of depth to it. And, uh, our analytics are, are nation leading, if not world leading. So it's, it's a great place to be as a property analyst. I'm kind of right at the source of the data. Everything's extremely timely. And I know that, uh, that there's always going to be a lot of interest in housing markets as well. So it's, it is a good place to be. And in fact, this is my second time around at CoreLogic. I used to work at RP Data when it was a really small privately owned business back in, in the mid sort of 2000s, sort of the mid 90s. And, uh, I left and went to Collier's and, and PID and then, then came back to, to CoreLogic in 2007 when we listed on the Australian Stock Exchange.
0: So it's been quite the journey. I, I did do a bit of a deep dive on your LinkedIn and I, was, I felt very vindicated to see that you also chose QET for your Bachelor of Business. When you were at uni, where did you think you would end up after your studies?
1: Oh, to be honest, I had no idea back then. And my, my original degree at QT was an information management degree, which which I didn't actually complete. It, it just wasn't my cup of tea. But when I went into do my Bachelor of Business, I blended the business studies with information management as well and came out with, uh, I guess, something a little bit unique, a little bit different, because there's a lot of people that, that do business degrees. So I felt I had to have something... That set me apart a little bit and it was the the data side of things that that, that I really liked and uh, blending that with economics and demographics and, and communication skills was kind of where I ended up and I just kind of <laughs> went when, when where the wind blew me in many ways that, that, that ended up being into the property sector and I loved it and it, it makes a lot easier I guess to progress when, when you really love doing what you do and uh, Opportunities came my way that I took advantage of. So it's it's really been a case of of just doing something that I really enjoyed, and it makes it so much easier that way. That's for sure.
0: I member certainly love data, and we use your inputs for the market report quarterly, which is also very popular. Market, you know, everyone's keen to know where the market's going. That's always a, a hot question. In terms of our success as a, a nation, weathering the economic fallout of COVID better than was forecast, why do you think this has been the case?
1: There's, there's so many reasons that that we've seen Australia's housing market quite resilient through the worst of COVID and then move into this this really strong growth phase we're moving through at the moment. But I think at the very nuts and bolts of it, it comes down to the supply and demand side of things. So on a on a demand side, of course, that's where we've seen all the stimulus that's that's kept our economy going. In fact, we're now seeing uh, Australia's economic activity is is stronger now than it was pre-COVID. We've seen GDP already recover. We've seen the number of jobs that Australians have is higher now than it was pre-COVID. Uh, unemployment is well below the decade average, so is underemployment. So we've really seen the economy bounce back on the back of a lot of stimulus, and of course, keeping a lid on, on virus outbreaks uh, better than most other other countries. And then, uh, of course, that's really helped to support consumer sentiment. We know that confidence from an economic and demographic perspective is is a really important part of high commitment decision making, which is what housing is all about. So as we've seen the economy improve much faster, we've also seen consumer sentiment and confidence get back to above average levels, which has seen demand in the housing market coming back. And a big part of that demand surge has also been around interest rates, of course, moving down to record lows. And then against that that real surge in demand, we haven't seen a supply response. so we've we've seen transactional activity in the housing market tracking nearly fifty percent above where it was a year ago, well above um, what you might describe as normal levels. In fact, nationally we're seeing annual sales the highest now than uh, as, as they've been in since two thousand and three or two thousand and four. So we've got that massive response in demand, but supply in terms of how many homes are available for sale across Australia has remained persistently low. In fact, uh, just at the end of last month, at the end of June, we saw total listing numbers nationally were down about 25% on the five-year average. So we've got about a 50% lift in demand. We've got a 25% reduction in supply levels. The natural consequence is going to be uh, a lift in, in prices. And that's exactly what we've seen. In fact, Across Brisbane over the past year, we've seen housing values rise by 13%. Across regional Queensland, they're up uh, a bit more than 17% over the past 12 months. So very strong conditions, pretty much whichever market we're looking at.
0: So in terms of that demand, is it coming from the first home buyer and investor segments? Because if the listings are low, does that mean people aren't wanting to sell because of, you know, perceived uncertainty around job security, with, you know, we're in lockdown, we're not in lockdown. I've seen some chit-chat in the media about people not wanting to move jobs?
1: No, no not really. And this is, this is what's actually quite surprising is that the number of new listings being added to the market is still well above average. It's uh, at the moment about 10% above the five-year average. So there's no shortage of fresh stock being added to the market. This is really about a rapid rate of absorption. So even though there's more than the normal amounts of new stock, new newly advertised stock being added to the market... There's just so many buyers out there that it's being, it's being absorbed really quickly. And that's what's keeping overall advertised supply levels really low. This is absolutely a seller's market. Vendors are, are well and truly in the driver's seat. We're seeing homes selling in like 25 days on average. The discounting rates are about two and a half percent across Brisbane as well, which is they've, they've never been that low, meaning that there's very little negotiation in the market. So I think this is really a story of demand outweighing supply rather than um, being an insufficient supply response. This is more about a uh, a, a, a higher than normal level of demand, diminishing supply.
0: And outside what regional markets are performing really well, there's been that discussion around the flight to lifestyle and people wanting to move to places like the Fraser Coast, Toowoomba, further north. Is there any evidence to show that's happening?
1: Absolutely. Southeast Queensland, you've got the obvious examples of the Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast, where we've seen housing values rise by around about 22% in both those markets over the past 12 months. So I mentioned Brisbane's up about 13%. So we're seeing the Sunny Coast and Gold Coast rising at about 22%. In value, uh, Byron, obviously not in Queensland, but Byron's been nation-leading for its rate of growth. We've seen housing values rise by nearly 30%. In that market, and as you say, now we're seeing that growth trend spreading along the coastline to so some of the more affordable markets like uh, the Fraser Coast, Harvey Bay, uh, getting up to Gympie. Even um, markets in the far north, like Cairns and Townsville, Mackay, are all showing very strong growth conditions. So that's, that that sea change that that Bernard Salt used to talk about all the time prior to the GFC, that seems to be well and truly back in place, and, and the tree change as well. So a lot of hinterland markets are also extremely strong. And I think, as you say, Chelsea, this really reflects a, uh, a change in, in lifestyle trends. I think with the ability to work from home and people um, now having much more flexible working arrangements in particular industries, that's really opened up a lot of these lifestyle markets to a lot more demand, as well as more demand coming in from some of the southern capitals like Melbourne and Sydney. You can see it really clearly that interstate migration coming into Queensland is the strongest it's been since uh, the early 2000s, as a lot more migrants flow across the border. By far, Queensland's outpacing interstate migration of any other state by by quite some margin.
0: You've published an article recently about the RBA's decision to keep interest rates on hold. You noted that arguably the most significant headwind facing housing markets, I mean, aside from COVID outbreaks and lockdowns, remains tighter credit policies and higher mortgage rates. Can you expand on this?
1: Yeah, so um, I think it's fair enough to say that the biggest risks are related to COVID and and potential for further outbreaks and lockdowns, but we know that they tend to have a fairly short-term impact on on housing transactional activity and and very little impact on housing values. But looking a little bit further in the future, we know that uh, there is the potential for some credit intervention in the market from APRA. Uh, And what I mean by that is if we do see a further rise in some of the riskier types of lending that APRA look for, like a rise in interest-only loans or a rise in high debt-to-income ratio lending or a rise in, in high LVR or loan devaluation ratio lending, we know that could potentially be the trigger for some tighter credit policies being implemented. The last time we saw Macro potential being uh, released into the market, well, the first time was back in December 2014. That was when there was a, uh, a limit on investment credit growth. And then the second time was a limit on interest-only lending. And we know from those two examples, the housing market is impacted fairly immediately as, as credit is throttled downwards a little bit. So if we did see another round of credit policy intervention, the likelihood is it probably would have a fairly immediate dampening effect on the market, but it really depends what the policy is. At the moment, if we look through all of those different metrics being you know, the uh, debt-to-income ratios or loan devaluation valuation ratios, interest-only loans... All those metrics are starting to rise, um, but not so much that it's enough to trigger a response from APRA just yet. But they've been pretty clear, so has the RBA. They'll be watching these metrics very closely. Outside of credit policy tightening, then, of course, there's there's also the the chance that interest rates could rise earlier than than what's been previously predicted. The RBA has been pretty firm. that Up until um, recently, they, they didn't expect the cash rate would rise until 2024, the earliest. But the July board meeting, they did start to loosen that language a little bit. And we've already seen a lot of private sector economists from the banking sector calling for uh, that the cash rate will rise earlier than suggested. In fact, I think CBA was the most recent suggesting the first cash rate hike will be in late 2022. So higher rates, we know, will probably have a fairly immediate dampening effect on, on the housing market as well. In fact, we're already starting to see long-term fixed rates, pushing a little bit higher now that the term funding facility from the RBA has expired.
0: And you've also talked about the housing value rising more in a month and household incomes rise in a year, and that it's likely that affordability constraints and higher supply will gradually slow activity and price growth across the housing market. What do you mean when you talk about affordability constraints?
1: So there's a lot of different ways to to measure affordability. But most generally, when we talk about affordability, it's the relativity of housing prices to household incomes. So at the moment, we're seeing household incomes rising at around 1.5% per annum. Below average, it's pretty tame simply because wages growth is pretty tame as well, although there is some expectation that that it should start picking up. So with household incomes rising at about 1.5% a year, Last month, in in June, we saw national housing values rise by 1.9% in one month. So we're seeing housing values rising more in a month than what incomes are in a year, which of course makes it harder for people to get into the marketplace that don't already own a home. It takes longer to save for a deposit. It it, it becomes harder to fund your transactional costs, which are all percentage-based generally as well. So if we look at some of the affordability measures, the dwelling value to income ratio in in Brisbane sitting at about 6.2 times, which isn't that bad. That's actually a relatively healthy scenario for affordability when you compare it to, say, Sydney, where the dwelling price to income ratio is up at 9.4. That means that the typical household is spending about 9.4 times their gross annual household income to afford the median price dwelling in Brisbane at 6.2. So it's it's remarkably lower. So, I think that's another benefit for the southeast Queensland region and, and all of Queensland is that housing affordability is much more straightforward and much more achievable than what it is in the large cities.
0: And you've been having a well, – I saw a comment from you that there's a, a drop-off in those first home buyers and an uptick in investors. Is this a trend you expect to see continue?
1: I think it is. And the most recent data really confirms that trend. So generally, when when we're looking at these sort of trends, we we look at mortgage-related activity and uh, we look at a percentage change across those different um, biotypes. So we know over the three months ending May, which is the most recent set of data, investor credit growth was tracking at about 30% over the three months. So up up 30% in three months ending May. First home buyer, or the value of first home buyer lending, was actually slightly lower. Um, It had fallen over that three-month period. For non-first home buyer owner-occupiers, the rate of growth was about 11%. So we're now in a situation where investors, even though they're still pretty slim on the ground, investors are about 28% of mortgage demand, we're seeing the rate of growth in, in investor credit demand is really accelerating and outpacing the other segments of the marketplace uh, understandably, first home buyers, uh, I think, will continue to wind down, partly because of affordability constraints, but also we've seen a lot of the first home buyer stimulus is now evaporated. Uh, the first home buyers grant, obviously, is still available for new homes. Home builder, it's a lot of first home buyers are taking advantage of, it's, it's done. Uh, we've seen some stamp duty concessions are generally expired. And there's still, of course, the, uh, the first home buyer deposit guarantee, but that's limited to 10,000, which is, is a relatively small number. So, I think we will continue to see 1st home buyers trimming down from here, investors probably stepping up a little as 1st home buyers reduce in the market.
0: And our members will be lucky enough to hear you speak at our conference on September 2. We're really looking forward to that. What can our members expect to hear from you?
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that event. It's always one of the highlights of my calendar, speaking at the UDA conference. So, I think... um, uh, I haven't finished my presentation just yet, but uh, normally what i would be covering is is obviously a bit of a deep dive on what's happening in in the local market across Queensland, not just Brisbane and Southeast Queensland, but looking at a lot of the regional markets as well as as how they're performing in context with other markets around the country. So we're looking at um, things like how are values tracking? What about transactional activity? How does buyer demand compare with the amount of supply that's in the marketplace? Also looking at the supply pipeline, how many homes are, are being built and whether or not that's sufficient or insufficient compared with a lot of the demographic trends. I'll touch on some of the economic and demographic trends as well. You know, It's generally a really positive story. So it's something that's really quite easy to talk to. We're really seeing a lot of demographic tailwinds coming through Queensland now. The jobs growth is really picking up. Affordability, as I mentioned a bit earlier on, is, is pretty healthy. So I think all those factors will contribute to a relatively uh, positive marketplace going forward with, with an upwards trend in housing values and demand remaining quite resilient across the state, at least over the coming year.
0: Uh, so, Tim, if people want to get in touch, what's the best way to reach you?
1: Oh, there's any number of ways. Obviously, I'm on all the different uh, social media. So, Twitter is just Tim Lawless and, uh, and LinkedIn is Tim Lawless as well. Email is pretty straightforward. It's tim.lawless at corelogic.com.au. Or simply jump on the CoreLogic website and there's plenty of links there on, on how to contact our customer service centre who can uh, put you in touch.
0: Well, it's been fabulous chatting to you, Tim. I look forward to seeing you in September. Thanks for your time.
1: Uh, absolute pleasure, Chelsea. Thanks thanks for inviting me along.
0: Thanks for listening to the UDIA Queensland's Development Drum Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. And if you want to hear more episodes, visit udiaqld.com.au forward slash podcasts send us your comments and questions via marketing at udiaqld.com.au remember to subscribe rate and review this show on your favorite podcast app we'll be releasing a new episode every month so we look forward to having you back